Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message titled, Desire His Reign, was given by Larry Volk and was the third in our series, Pray This Way. All right, well listen, find your sermon outline in your bulletin there, and let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 6. You'll find that on page 1504 in that book rack Bible that's in front of you. Matthew 6. I was reminded of the story of two guys that went to heaven on the same day. New York taxi cab driver and a pastor. They go into the entrance of heaven and of course the taxi cab driver is just given all kinds of accolades and reward and amazing things. And then to the pastor, there was just sort of a welcome, a warm greeting. Thank you. It's great that you're here. The pastor thought, wait a minute. How come he's getting all the rewards? Well, the Lord said, well, listen, when he drove, people prayed. (laughs) But when you preached, people slept. So it's my desire today that in the preaching, we will learn how to pray. We've been in a series, we've entitled Pray This Way. We've been looking at the most familiar prayer in all of God's word, the Lord's Prayer, or the Disciples' Prayer, or the Our Father, or whatever you want to call it, here in Matthew chapter 6. It's a beautiful prayer. It's okay to recite it, but we've been learning that the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray is more of a model prayer. It's how we should pray. So we've been walking through this prayer expositionally, taking each little phrase as it comes. In the opening address, we looked at the grand invitation of God, that he desires us to come to him, and that he's as close to us when we pray as the air we breathe, and that he's intimate to us, like a loving heavenly father, like a father would care for and provide for his children. This is the invitation of God. We saw last week that, that God tells us that when we come to him to pray, we should hallow his name. We should recognize that his name is renowned, that we should proclaim his glory, that All over the world, people should see how great and awesome our God really is. And these are the things that we should pray for. Well, today we come to this next phrase, your kingdom come. There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. This is the second petition. And this week, for those of you that are in our small groups, and boy, we had a great small group meeting this past week. I hope you did too. You're going to unpack this phrase a little bit more. I've had the privilege of traveling around the world and seeing lots of different countries. I've been to countries where the political and ideological views of those countries are vastly different from my own here in America. I visited countries like China, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Cuba, Mexico, and Nepal, and many others. And along the way, I've traveled even to the Middle East, and I've been in places that just seem, well, to be honest with you, foreign to me. And the, real, the reality of that and the reason for that is that I am foreign. I am a foreigner when I'm in those places. And it isn't until the jetliner lands back in SFO or Oakland where I feel like I'm home again. But even there, I don't totally feel at home. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Even while I live here in America, there's a sense in which I'm really not home yet. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, your kingdom come, he was wanting to remind them, as he reminds us today in this prayer, that every day and every time we pray, we should be reminded of the fact that this really isn't our home. 
We should be reminded of the fact that no matter what political persuasion we come from or what political ideologies we hold dear to us, there is an allegiance that is far greater due to the king of the kingdom than wherever we live in the world. And this is the the heartbeat or this is the core of what Jesus is introducing to his disciples and what we want to look at today. Now in these few minutes that are about to follow, I would like to give five simple words followed by some phrases that help define what this idea of your kingdom come really implies. So if you're taking notes this morning, would you just, uh, would you take this first little point down? This phrase of your kingdom come implies a profession of faith. Would you say that with me? A profession of faith. Here in this prayer where Jesus said we should pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. We said that the first three petitions of this prayer are all upward. They're all focused on the God, the King of the kingdom. His name being hallowed, his kingdom coming, his will being done. And this modifying phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, to give us a description of the way it happens. The way it happens in heaven ought to be the way it happens here on earth. And that this simple phrase of your kingdom come should remind you and I of the need for a true profession of faith. I'm calling this that which results in true conversion and kingdom values planted and growing in one's life. In other words, it would be completely disingenuous to pray that God's kingdom come if we're not willing subjects under his kingly rule. Does that make sense? So Jesus calls us into this prayer and he says when you pray, you should pray your kingdom come. Now how in the world can you actually pray that if you are not a subject of that kingdom? If you are not submitted to the king of the kingdom? And so oftentimes in the message, the invitation comes at the end. Today it comes at the start. Today the invitation is for each one of us to examine our hearts right now and ask ourselves, can we pray this prayer With genuine heart, can we pray this prayer with integrity? Because if we're not part of the kingdom, frankly, we shouldn't be praying this prayer. And frankly, we are making a mockery of ourselves and of God when we say, your kingdom come, when we don't want God's kingly rule over our lives. It's all about seeing ourselves and the kingdom we once were in toppled and a new kingdom erected in our lives. Uh, Hold your place in Matthew 6, and if you would, go over to the book of Colossians, please. Just turn right a few chapters, actually a couple of books. Uh, It's the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Let me read verse 12. We'll put verse 13 and 14 on the screen for those of you that uh, need a little help getting there. Here we are. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, Paul writes, verse 13, for, we have, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you see that little part there, that he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves? This is a powerful picture of what happens when you and I become Christ followers, If you've never stepped over that line of faith, I'm inviting you today to trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose again from the grave to give you eternal life, and that today by faith you can trust his promise and you can give him your life, and today you can begin the beautiful journey of 
walking in allegiance to the king of the kingdom. And you can pray this prayer with passion in your heart saying, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in my life today, right now, everywhere I go. Did you notice that God rescues us from the dominion of darkness? That we don't just simply flippantly choose to switch kingdoms. God rescues us. Uh, Salvation is a work of sovereign grace. God shows up. It's unexplainable. It's practically undefinable in the sense of what happens in this heavenly exchange. But God shows up at our hearts. He makes us aware of our need as sinners to be forgiven. And he, by His own grace woos us. We simply believe. We choose in our hearts to follow. And God works this beautiful salvation experience out. So that we are no longer citizens of the old, but we are true citizens of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. And when he comes into our lives, God begins to birth his kingdom values in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creations in Christ. Yesterday I was driving down the road and I just heard a, a song on the radio. I listened to K-Love. I hope you do too now and then. I, just a beautiful, thank, thank the Lord for Christian radio, Christian music that just reminds us. And I don't always listen, but, but yesterday I was listening and this song came on and I just, I went home and I got on my computer and the lyrics of this song, it's a song by Matthew West and it goes something like this and I won't sing it for you, just bear with me. It goes like this, in my own little world it hardly ever rains. I've never gone hungry, always felt safe. I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet, in my own little world, population me. I try to stay awake during Sunday morning church. I throw a 20 in the plate, but I never give till it hurts. And I turn off the news when I don't like what I see. Yeah, it's easy to do when it's population me. What if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a greater purpose? I could be living right now outside my own little world. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Stopped at a red light, the song goes on. Looked out my window. I saw a cardboard sign said, help this homeless widow. And just, about this, and just above that sign was the face of a human. I thought to myself, God, what have I been doing? So I rolled down the window and looked her in the eye. How many times have I just passed her by? I gave her some money, then I drove on through, and now my own little world reached population too. The song goes on to describe the reality of how so many of us live in our own little world. When Jesus said, pray this prayer this way, your kingdom come, he's saying, would you see my world? Would you see the world that I've placed you in? Would you see that there's a place for you, a place for you to be involved? R.T. Kendall, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, he writes about Jonathan Edwards, who lived in 1700 to 1758, perhaps the greatest theologian in American history, part of the Great Awakening, taught that one of the things that the devil cannot do is to produce in us a love for God's interests and glory. Satan is a counterfeiter, but he cannot, pull in the, he cannot put in the heart an unfeigned concern for what concerns God. So what Kindle is saying and what Jonathan Edwards was saying and what I'm saying to you today in light of this phrase in the prayer is that this true, genuine call and request that God's kingdom would come cannot come genuinely unless we really truly belong to him. Satan cannot put in your heart a desire for the things that God desires. He's a counterfeiter, but he cannot 
put in your heart a true desire for God's kingdom reign to happen. So I'm asking you the question, does that give you assurance this morning or does that sort of dislodge you a little bit? Like, do you really have concern for the things that concern the heart of God? That's what this phrase implies. It implies a profession of faith where seeds of the kingdom are planted and begin to grow in our lives. Here's the second thing this word, this phrase implies, your kingdom come. I think it implies patience. Patience. The anticipation of Christ's second coming and the culmination of God's rule everywhere. Now some of us, here's our problem. When we pray the prayer and we say, your kingdom come, we reduce that phrase to only the second coming of Christ. True, there's an eschatological reality to this part of the prayer. Absolutely. We're thinking of the return of Christ. But watch this. As you read through the Bible and as you study the theme, the beautiful theme of the kingdom of God, here's what you discover about this theme. You discover that the, the theme of the kingdom of God is an already experience, but it's also a not yet experience. That's what we see all through the scripture. And of course, this is what twisted the Jews up a little bit when they were anticipating the kingdom, waiting for the kingdom to come. They were quoting passages like Isaiah 9-6 that the government shall be on his shoulders and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end or the great reminder of Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 that the kingdom that was coming would be an everlasting kingdom that would shatter the back of every previous kingdom known in the history of the world. It would be an enduring everlasting kingdom that would never end and so when the king of the kingdom shows up in the gospels and Jesus announces the kingdom of God is here the kingdom of God is near the kingdom of God is within you he was announcing that the kingdom was there and all the Jews said yay now we get our place back on the map of the world and Jesus said but not yet My death, my resurrection starts this whole process, but there's going to be a churning and a groaning and there's going to be years and we don't know how long it will be and the parables of the kingdom, Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, the the mustard seed, the leaven, what's small is beautiful, what little is actually big, we don't really see the results, We we see little images, here we are, a thousand people sitting in a little congregation among thousands and hundreds of thousands of people and we say what good can we do what impact could we have and Jesus says small works little is powerful little is significant don't stop realizing that the kingdom is among you the kingdom is growing the kingdom is here but it hasn't fully realized yet right it isn't fully realized yet Easter Sunday we celebrate that the king that gave his life and rose again from the grave and yet this whole process is not yet complete. I was reminded of this while thinking of World War II when the troops landed on the beaches of Normandy on June 6, 1944 and it was on that day that the Axis powers of Europe began to crumble. We didn't see all of the results until 11 months, two days later, May 8, 1945, when All of Germany and all of the Axis powers signed a unilateral, unconditional surrender to give up this the whole Third Reich deal. And that's 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 VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. 
What started on June 6, 1944 wasn't completed until May 8, 1945. What started when Jesus came to this earth and died and rose again from the grave will not be complete until Jesus Christ comes back and takes us to be with the Father and his kingdom is fulfilled. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 23 and following. If you're quick and you want to turn there, you can, but I doubt you'll get there fast enough. Here we are. Speaking of the, the response of the, or the, the sequence of the resurrection, but each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I did three funerals this weekend. I'm reminded every time I do a funeral that we're still not there. We're still not there. Images of the kingdom are here. We taste it. We sense it. We know he's among us. We, we see the kingdom values. We see the beauty of grace. We see a little heaven on earth, little slivers here and there. We see a glorious worship experience like we've been in. I felt tears in my eyes this morning. I see the king in his glory. Holy is the Lord. He is worthy of my praise. I get these little images. I go back out into my world. Tomorrow hits a bunch of things going. There's meetings. There's people. There's more funerals. There's all this stuff. And I'm reminded I'm not there yet. Praise God. We are in the already, but the not yet. That's why when we pray this prayer, let's go back to, let's remember what we're saying here. What does this prayer point? It points to a profession of faith. It points to patience. We're praying for things right now that we may never see the results of in our lifetimes. We're praying the nations will come to Christ. Will we see the nations all come to Christ? Maybe not in our lifetime. But Jesus says when you pray this way, your heart is moved for the nations of the world. Your heart is moved for the people around you. And is not true what Paul said in Romans that we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says we are not there yet. There is an already and there is a not yet in the kingdom. Beautiful point. Don't forget that. Otherwise, you are prone to think that heaven should be now and why is the world screwed up and how come my life isn't going right and God must have abandoned me and I don't get this Christianity and I'm out of here. And I meet people a lot that have that view. It is the already and the not yet. Here's a third thing that this little phrase encompasses. Not only a profession of faith, not only patience for fulfillment, but also a pursuit, a reorienting my focus in life toward kingdom priorities. People who pray this prayer sincerely, when they come to this little phrase, do so because they profess a relationship. They are patient, knowing that there's a better day coming. There's a future that is awaiting them. When we come to Christ, the big kingdom of our life topples. I want you to think about, where, where have you visualized one kingdom toppling and another kingdom coming up? I mean, I just immediately think of that scene when the soldiers went into Baghdad, remember? And Saddam Hussein, the statue, do you remember that? <sighs> coming down for hours, that statue coming down. The icon of his political reign. One kingdom topples, another kingdom comes up. 
all over the world that has been repeated over and over and it will continue to be repeated with nation after nation after nation. One kingdom topples, another kingdom comes along. But watch this. When you give your life to Christ, the kingdom of your world topples. That means the kingdom of my wants, my desires, my little worlds, all the things that are constantly begging for my attention and begging for my allegiance. I am constantly reorienting myself to the start and the completion of God's kingdom work in my life. I want to have a focus toward kingdom priorities. One day... A couple of years ago, I boarded a plane to go to San Diego. And as I boarded the plane, it was a Friday. And all the people getting on board were dressed in Raider uh, gear. I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe the whole Raider nation chartered this plane (laughs) to go to L.A. when the Raiders were taking on the San Diego Chargers. Yeah. Yeah, there's usually just one. Anyway... I got on the plane and I thought, wow, I felt totally like, first of all, I was not really a part of that deal, but they were partying and there was just raider, raider, raider everywhere. Now here's the point. The point is these people were dressed in a way that that told everyone where their destination was. Did you know that the, the behaviors of the kingdom are the ways we dress showing the world that we know where our destination is? So when we demonstrate grace, when we would rather demonstrate law, when we give forgiveness and we would rather withhold it, when we show acceptance rather than judgment, when we behave with kingdom values and kingdom virtues, we are dressing ourselves in attire that the world says, That's, I know where their destination is. And the world needs to see that a little bit more. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, there's like this veiled thing. We're all like, we're all closet, you know, rooters for the kingdom of God. We're not really wearing our game gear in public. And what Jesus is saying, when you pray this prayer, your kingdom come, what he's saying is, you need, you need to be a fan of my kingdom. And the way you do that is not just rah-rah, it's the tough stuff. I read a story in a book called Eternity by Joe Stoll. He's a, he was a uh, president of Moody, he is the president of Moody uh, Bible Institute. And Joe Stoll tells the story of, of Buster Soares, who as a young man was calling out the drug lords in his area against drugs. And as a college student, he was rallying students around the, the anti-drug movement. And five drug dealers came to his campus and kidnapped him with a shotgun to the back of his head, a 45 pushed into one side and a rifle pushed into the other in a car driving around for hours, threatening to kill him. They finally came to a vacant lot where they thought this is where they'd be. They pulled him out of the car. They put the gun to the back of his head and one of the guys, the driver of the car, noticed that there was a police officer up on a roadway, on a highway near this vacant lot. And he thought that the shots or the shot would alert the police officer. So they threw him back in the car and they drove around for another five hours. The drug lord of that group called off the hit and they let him go. He, he was so shaken up by this, he thought in his heart, if I ever see these guys again, 
I'll do them the damage. And they promised that if, he ever, if they ever saw him again, they would take care of him for sure. Buster Soares gave his life to the Lord, had a beautiful, powerful conversion, grew in his faith with Christ, and it was a few years later that he was at Madison Square Gardens with 20,000 people, and right in front of him was the guy that was holding the 45 to his side. And he turned around, they both recognized each other, and now Buster is a changed man. And Buster takes a man with his shoulders and he says, he says, I have nothing against you, I love you in Christ, and if there's anything I can ever do to you, for you, I will. <laughs> like, right now, boom, no. And, and Buster Stories tells a story that this guy almost dropped dead of a heart attack right there. Now, that's dressed for game day. When you show grace rather than revenge. You get people in your lives that are bugging the heck out of you. People that you just want to get back, serve back, give them the piece of their own medicine. You got stuff like that going in your life? Listen, when you wear the kingdom gear, people see it. Grace, love, mercy, truth, humility. All of those ways people see that we are, we are kingdom-minded. There's a pursuit in our lives that must be seen. There's a fourth thing, quickly. Time is just squeaking by here. There's a fourth thing here, and I see that there's this idea of power. The effectiveness of power as the, at the start and completion of kingdom work. Now, I'm not going to say a lot here because I think this is almost a, a hello. Jesus said, here's how kingdom work happens. You pray, your kingdom come. You know where all the work that God wants us to do begins? It begins on our knees. It begins in prayer. The world seems so large and the ministry that we are called to seems too impossible. And I have felt oftentimes that there's really nothing I can do for the big things that need to be tackled in our world. Poverty, disease, human trafficking, uh, clean water, fill in the blank of all the things that our hearts are impassioned to be a part of. And sometimes we push away from the table and we say, I just can't do it. Or we run into things without really praying. And I just want to bring us all back to the reality of what Jesus said right here. And he also said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. John chapter 14, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, I will do it for you. In my name, not a postage stamp that we put on the letter, but in my name, would Jesus want this? Does Jesus want this in my life? Does Jesus want this in my community? And when we ever come to that conclusion that this is something Jesus wants, then we should begin by praying. We should say, Jesus, I want to be a part of this. And somehow, and I don't know how it works, but as we pray, as we get on our knees and in our hearts talk about this with God, God begins to do things that we can't control. And he multiplies like the fish and the loaves. And so I'm just putting this out to all of us as a reminder that when we pray this way, we're not only praying from a profession of faith, patience for fulfillment, a pursuit of the kingdom, but we also pray with power. We pray knowing that there's a power that happens when we pray, your kingdom come. So everywhere we go in our life, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord. I was talking to some young guys uh, out on the street the other day uh, over around the block. I was just out for a walk. And, these, and I know this one kid that lives on this block, he, he doesn't know me. And I've been able to see him over the years grow up. And, 
And I just kind of have a burden for him. And I saw these young guys that were hanging out with him. And I thought, I don't, just judgment, okay, it's maybe judgment. But I'm looking at these two guys are hanging out with him. And I'm thinking, these guys are probably not good influences on this guy. And what I know about this guy, I just thought, this is not a good match. And so I just thought, I'm going to stop. And we just talk to these guys. We just, you know, they like my dog. I'm walking my dog. And so that's kind of a little entryway. And we're, we're just having a little conversation. But they don't know that a whole time while we're just talking, I'm saying, God, your kingdom come right here. Kingdom come right here. And I, I know that without any big oration, they don't even know who I am. They don't even know my name. doesn't matter. The point is, I believe that there will be something else that will happen down the road where, where God's kingdom will come in that situation. I'm trusting that God's going to do a work right there. Is that the way you look at your life? At the gas station, at the bank, in the store, in your neighborhood, in your driveway next to your neighbor. Your kingdom come, Lord, right here, right now, in this moment. The last thing I see, and I just, I'll just throw it out there. We've got to close up. And that is not only a profession of faith, a patience for fulfillment, a pursuit of the king and his kingdom, a power that comes through prayer itself, finally a participation, an involvement in the things that burden the heart of God. I've listed some scriptures there to you. There's so many in the Bible John Dominic Crossan talks about in his book that God, this phrase of the kingdom come is God's divine cleanup program for the world. I like that. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you come and visited me. In the book of Acts, we, we read about the New Testament church, how there was not a need among them because people were selling their possessions and they were, they were ministering to the needs of others. They thought of others before themselves and, and somehow it's a different economy, it's a different world and yet somehow the translation of Matthew 25 and Acts chapter 2 has to get into the fabric of the way we live our lives so that somehow we through our prayerful efforts and through whatever points we get involved, we can make a difference in this world. I think of Annie Carbonero who heard the call of God in her life and as a young high schooler and then going to college, Biola College, and hearing just her heart. And she came right from our ministry and, and for the last 10 years she's been serving well, not 10 years, almost 10 years, I guess. She's been serving in open arms ministry to orphans in the Ukraine. I know of her ministry well because my daughter has been there a couple of t- several times, actually. We pray for her, but I think here's a young lady that said, God, your kingdom come, and, and she heard her, your call, the call of God, and she went. And that doesn't mean that God's call is going to take us out of our country, but I'll tell you one thing, it's going to take us somewhere. Where is God's call taking you? And if it's not taking you, if you don't have a burden for the world that God has a burden for, then really you need to start back at point number one in this message. Do you know Christ? Praying this prayer, praying this way, Jesus taught, we cannot not participate. So I think that's what this means, and it means a lot more than that, but that's all that we've got time for today. Let's go to the Lord. Lord Jesus, Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this phrase, 
this beautiful phrase in this prayer, your kingdom come. And Lord, I'm asking for that right here, right now. Lord, your kingdom come right here to someone who needs a relationship with you. And if that's you, right where you sit, you can open your heart and receive the gift of life in Jesus Christ. Would you? No emotional point, just just an invitation. Just come to Christ right now. And if you know Christ as your Savior, what is your heart burdened for that the Lord is burdened for? And are you going there? Lord, help us, I pray. Your church, it's a huge world. There are problems in every direction. And frankly, in one way, it makes it so easy, Lord. We can start by just walking out our door every day. But Lord, it's, it's maybe a little more complex than that. Give us vision. Give us hearts for your, what burdens your heart, Lord. And for all of us today, I pray we can seal whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has been doing in our hearts even now as we come to your, your table. I'm going to stop in my prayer just for a moment. And I'm going to just say a couple of things. Number one, if you're giving your life to Jesus today, praise God. Don't, don't doubt his gracious invitation. Ask him and he will come into your life today. And if you know Christ this morning already, then would you be listening in the days and weeks ahead as you pray your kingdom come for where he's sending you And now we just prepare our hearts. I'm going to ask our ushers to make their way forward. We're going to have a time now as we participate in the Lord's table. This is for every believer in Christ. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.